up today on the podcast, Dan Arnold. He is a local boy who spent a heap of time in France and has an amazing story of how he's dealt with COVID, what he thinks of the future, and his amazing team. So enjoy. Because he didn't say yeah. We ready? <clears throat> ready? Mr. Dan Arnold, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for being here today with me. Thanks very much for having me. It's been a long time coming. <laughs> yes, Billy did say you'd be in the first couple. Thank you, Billy. Um, yeah, so you have a restaurant called Dan Arnold in the Brisbane city, Australia, uh, which was absolutely kicking goals and everyone that came here was was ecstatic and loved the fact that you uh, had all this French history and experience and you were bringing that back to Australia. Um, I want to talk to you about how you've dealt with COVID briefly a little bit later on and a little bit more about what you think the future is later on as well. But I'd love to go back to you were born in Brisbane, you were raised in Brisbane, then you took off to France and... And, drum roll please. Uh, it's, not, <laughs> it's not that exciting. I think like a lot of young chefs who grew up in Australia... Uh, you have that urge to go overseas and sort of discover cooking overseas, go and do a bit of time overseas, you're travelling. And, and when I left, it was it was only going to be a year in France and then on to America or on to London or on to Japan and had all these dreams and met my beautiful wife. And, she wrecked and it. that was, um, I wouldn't say she wrecked it, but she's <laughs> That's probably, what you she's said probably listening. <laughs> yeah, that was in the, the outtakes before. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but no, I mean... It has to be exciting. I mean, you're in France, you're, you're, you know, just breathing the air there and walking the streets is exciting, isn't it? Yeah, like absolutely. I, and, and I threw myself in, can I say, balls deep. Like, I didn't speak a word of French when I went there and went into a kitchen in the French countryside where no one spoke English. And you know, a number of days I went and got a broom when they wanted a potato and stupid things like that. It went on for a few months. But I think that's probably why my French is as good as it is today, uh, the language side, because, you know, when you've got no choice, you... Yeah. You pull your finger out and you make So your it French work. is very good? French is fluent. You hardly yeah. ever speak French to me. I do. <laughs> it's when I'm swearing at you. That's when it's normally the French bit. <laughs> okay, so how old were you when you got over there? It's 23. 23. 23. Young yeah. gun by yourself? 23 by myself. Yeah. Um, ready to kick so goals. So you'd done your apprenticeship here? Did my apprenticeship here, yeah. I did yeah. my apprenticeship under uh, Roman Babst at cool. Central, and then I went and worked with Ryan Squires for a couple of years before heading overseas. Ah, Esquire, Ryan. That was at Buffalo Club back before. Ah, oh, uh, radio on the corner there, yep. Yeah, back before uh, we went to the city. Yeah, so, yeah. nice, okay. Um, so you're off to a good start. Ryan's a pretty good chef. I um, don't know where he is now, but anyway. Um, and you took off over to France, um, and you ended up falling on your feet did you or was it hard work for the first 12 months or what happened tell, oh, it, tell was, us. it was it was really hard work I was really fortunate that um that chef I did my apprenticeship under Roman he set me up in a three-star Michelin restaurant to walk straight into um which was the best opportunity I could ever have so that sort of really set me up for uh my first year over there and initially we were looking at probably doing a like their equivalent of a sponsorship over there and I would stay on in that restaurant and there was a bit of a change in the the, um, the direction, so like the the management of the restaurant and they decided they weren't going to go ahead with that. So at that time, you know, I met my wife pretty early after moving over there. We decided we weren't ready to move back to Australia, so the easiest way was to get married. Um, and so we got married. So green card, not really, really real love or was it? It, it was real love and it was, um, 
you know, two two kids or one kid and one on the way later. All oh, right. So and you had babies over there. Yeah, we had our first son over there, who's now almost four, and she's pregnant with our second one now. Congratulations. So two babies later, a restaurant and a move to the other side of the world. I think it was more than just a green card. <laughs> She's still listening. She so is. She's yeah, actually pretending she's not listening, actually. Ticking the boxes. Yeah, yeah. You speak very softly when you talk about your wife. Yeah, I know. That's when I drop the voice down. Okay. <laughs> um, well, tell, look, like, I asked people, so what do you want me to ask Dan Arnold? They said, tell us about Paris. Tell us about what you were doing, where you were working. They want to know about kitchens. They want to know about Michelin star restaurants. You know, um, is it still a somewhat think that apprentices can aim to go and do still i know we're in the middle of this shitty situation but let's fast forward 12 months is that something the kids are going to do now like pack their beds and head over there are they going to have the same luck or the same connections that maybe you had or opportunities do you think they're there yeah absolutely and i think they're not they're not only just in france or england like it used to be i think a lot of as you'd see a lot of the young chefs will go to scandinavia now so denmark to sweden um, there's great opportunities great restaurants there i think it's always going to be important for young chefs to travel to be exposed to other cuisines other cultures and then from that it, it, it sort of molds them into the chef they become when they're back home or when they stay overseas whatever it is so i, I think yeah absolutely i'd i'd say to anyone who has the opportunity, the same as I do, take it with two hands and don't look back. Mm. So you ended up there, you ended up back here. Now, did you come straight back and open down Arnold? Pretty much, pretty much. We, um, look, it wasn't my intention to come back at the time we did. Uh, I'd been at the restaurant I was at for six years. I probably couldn't, there was no further evolution in that restaurant um, for me at that time. I'd finished doing my competitions and everything like that. So we oh, yeah, asked ourselves the question, what are we, what are we going to do? You know, we had a young son and I said, look, you know, I, I best memories of my life growing up in Brisbane. Yep. So I'd, I'd want him to have the same experience. And, and Amelie's bag had been packed for years. She just said, you tell me when I want to go to the sun and the sun and the surf. And you tell me Beautiful. when. So we just got to work that seven switch. days a week now. Yeah. So <laughs> none of that stuff's happening. No. no. <laughs> no tell me about the um, competitions. Whilst you're taking photos of my questions. I just wanted to get a head start on them. <laughs> uh, yeah, look, there was, there was a competition I did, so it's called the Bacuse Dior. Um, so I represented Australia. The way I fell into that was the chef I was working with. He was the winner, the worldwide winner of the competition in 2005, Serge Vier. And he um, sort of moulded me into the chef I became uh, today and... and you know, under his guidance, we decided to enter the competition, representing Australia, of course. And um, yeah, the experience I got from that was I could I could go on for hours about it. Just the, the chefs you meet, the the relationships you make, but also the, the different style of food you get to think about, create, and, and work. It was really exciting. What did you cook? Then? What did I cook? Well, there's two dishes you got to do, both for 14 people. The first one, the year we did it, was actually a vegan course. So we got fourth place for the vegan course out of the final 24 countries. And then the main course was a uh, breast chicken, so it's from the famous breast region in, in next to Lyon in France. And we had to do that with crustaceans, so I did mine with uh, uh, marron, lobster, and a little bit of prawn. So yeah, and that's all served on a platter. It's it's very aesthetic, uh, the work that goes into it, but it's also taste at the end of the day. That was also for 14 people as well. Yeah. So you had a vegan course. 14 people, and, and then, then a, a platter. So it's a big platter which has got a large piece of, of meat that's cut and then it's got four garnishes each to go with it. 
And then it was myself and my commie, Brian Cosentino, down in Melbourne, if you're looking for someone to talk to at Via Porter. Yeah. Uh, we were the ones who represented on the day, so five and a half hours to do all of that. Um, what did, just say the name of the competition again. The Bucuse Dior. Bucuse Dior. Yep, that's the one. I was in uh, the Golden Chef's Hat when I was an apprentice. Yep, yeah, yeah. yeah. Got a gold medal and a bronze medal. Yeah, awesome. Yeah. Do you know I was a chef? I did, actually. Yeah, probably told yeah. you. It's on the bit of paper. With yeah, the on the questions there. So competitions are a completely, um, you know, they are a really great experience. Um, do you think that that sort of curved you into anything else? The, com- the contacts that you made, like you said, but did it sort of redefine or redirect you into, you know, a different style of cooking or not? Well, I, I probably, uh, I didn't grow up doing them. I'd never done one before. The first one I did was I went straight and did this one. And it's in three stages. There's an Australia, there's a, a continental selection in Asia, and then there's the world final. So it, it's three competitions, but I say it's only one. Uh, but I did that sort of at the when I was reaching the, I wouldn't say the end of my career, but like the end of my formative career. Whereas I think chefs who grow up doing them have a different perspective of them. It's probably a little bit more difficult for me to adapt to it at the time. But I, I think it's definitely rounded me as a, as a chef. Um, just that, I don't think it's an essential part, but it's given me sort of exposure to certain things that you don't get just working day in, day out in the kitchen. So where, actually you might've said before, but where, where were the name of the restaurants you worked at with the Michelin stars? So I worked at uh, L'Esperance, Marc Minot, for one year, three-star Michelin. Then I worked at Restaurant Serge Viard, which is the name of the chef in uh, Auvergne, two-star Michelin for six years. Wow. Um, a Michelin guy, just tell me a little bit about that. Did that start from a, that's a tyre company, yeah? Absolutely, yeah. Now, did they start it so people would travel to restaurants and wear out their tyres? The... the without being official about it, that's pretty much what they did. Yeah, it, that's what, what I heard. What it was, it's a... Um, it's a map. So basically they used to do a map of France, the original ones, and it would have uh, different destinations, restaurants, which they would call, if it's on your way, worthy of a detour, absolutely must do a detour. And that was your one, two, three star Michelin. And that was basically how they started the whole ranking of the restaurants was through this roadmap that Michelin put out, Michelin being the tyre company, of the, the different routes of, of France. And so, yeah, the, the restaurants were rated whether it was worth having a detour on your way or you could go there just if it was on your way. What's the big award that you would like to win in Australia? I, I've had enough of awards. Uh, yeah, yeah, to be honest. Not just to, yeah. I think now I've shifted more from a, a businessman's point of view. Um, I'd like to see a healthy business, a healthy team around me. That's of more importance. How do you do that? How do you make that happen? Because I actually think that that's something I'm actually going to talk to you about, about running the business and making sure that you're actually making money, supplying a beautiful place for your staff to learn and be invigorated. Yeah. Um, so that's that's much better than any award we'll ever get. That is the award. That's the reward yeah, absolutely. Uh, of actually doing something and amazing. And it's easier to, to sort of focus on that because I had done that competition. I think I'm not, yeah. I'm not seeking any recognition or anything like that, yeah. despite what people might think or yeah. Or look at, we're just looking to you know, cook some awesome food and have a really good time while we're doing it. And um, you do muck around that a lot. Environment. We, we muck around, but it's all in good spirit. You text me when I rang you today. You said I'm on the toilet. Oh, who says that? No, nah, you just wanted to know if I was nervous. I said, I'll get it out of me before you turn up. <laughs> <laughs> no, but every time I come here, you're always mucking around and having having a good time. So that's important yeah. to you in the kitchen. And yeah, absolutely. I think if we take ourselves too serious. Um, you know, it's we're just we're just cooks at the end of the day. You know, 
might be good ones, but we're still just cooks at the end of the day, so, you know. What's that going off in the background? What's that steaming noise? Oh, we've got the oven going off in the background, we've got the meat cleaver going off in the background, and the vacuum packing machine as well. Okay, so let's um, just go back a little. A couple of months ago, you were at the top of your game, the restaurant was full, uh, everyone that I knew was coming here was absolutely having a cracking good time, um, and then you got the slap in the face that everyone in the world got. How did uh, Dan Arnold and his beautiful wife deal with it? I think we dealt with it the same way everyone else did. We scratched our heads and didn't know what to do for a while and then found the best way to adapt. Um, it, it wasn't a shock to us. We saw it coming because we got a lot of friends and family in France and we saw the extent of just how serious it got, how quickly it escalated over there. And we were already having a conversation a couple of weeks before the lockdown, so to speak, came in of, okay, well, what's our contingency plan? What do we look at shifting towards um, if all the shit hits the fan like it, it did overseas? Like we saw it happen to, you know, the restaurants I've worked with, the friends I've worked with, the family we've, we've lived with for years. And then obviously it came out a bit quicker than I think everyone expected. Um, but I think that was the best thing they could have done. I think... You know, a lot of people ask the question, well, why did we have all this lockdown? Look, did nothing happen? Well, that's because we had the lockdown, you know? You're not asking yourself the question of, well, did it work when there's nothing to look at, yeah. are you? So we found the best way. Initially, we sort of put the restaurant into a hibernation period. That was the, the best solution immediately for us just to sort of regather our, our thoughts, look at what the government directions was going to be and look at what we thought was a timeline for coming back into things. And once we saw that there was, you know, a light at the end of the tunnel, we sort of found our way with what we would offer for a, you know, a, a take-home menu-style thing and a, the epistry that we do as well. Mm. And once we sort of had that model in place, we put it together and luckily we're in week six at the moment. I think we've got two weeks left before we can before we're going to open the restaurant again. And then it's been able to tie us through. You told me before, but what's the date of opening the restaurant? 13th of June. We're going back to Friday, Saturday evenings yep. initially. Um, and then we'll look at adding one or two extra days after that. Already, uh, will you have like a couple of different sittings or? Uh, we will initially have, we're doing two sittings on the Friday, Saturday, um, just so we can have uh, a few more people come in because we've filled out those first four weeks mm. very quickly. So we've added that second sitting on the night so that people can get a few more people in. We're going to keep doing our um, our at-home meals as well uh, just because we had a lot of people request that we continue that. It's not it's not because of the isolation. It's you know people something as silly as they can't get a babysitter on Saturday night so they yeah. can still have their little degustation menu at home and, you know, happy days. Yeah, some people are like going in and like, I mean, probably obviously hard, you know, not a massive team, we've got a quite small good team here some people are going in and cooking for like 10 and 12 people at home is that something that you would ever consider doing or not while you have the restaurant no point probably not while i have the restaurant I've, yeah i've done a few special events like that for you know some of our really good um clients and friends uh, yep. but i try to always be here when it's open if, yeah, it, if it's open I, try, I make sure i'm here um you know you have lots of fun in the kitchen what's the what's how do you select your staff how do i select my staff very easy shane has been in the kitchen with me since day one. Yeah. Um, I worked for Shane when I was younger. Okay. Shane was the captain of the Australian Olympic culinary team for 12 years. Wow. Um, a lot of pedigree, you know, 
I turn to him for a lot of um, uh, consult when I need it. You know, he's the go-to man for me. And then we had a young girl, Eve, who was with us from day one. She went back to do a pastry course at the start of this year and we were fortunate to replace her with another Amelie, not my wife, in the kitchen. Um, And then, yeah, for the kitchen team, it was pretty easy. It was just people who slotted in who, you know, same sort of thinking as myself. Yeah. So tell, just tell me about the, the place and the menu. So for the people who can't see it and not sitting here with us right now, you know, like it's a beautiful ambient, these beautiful curtains, you've got lovely, you know. Tell, tell us about what you want people to experience when they come here. Yeah, I think experience is a good word. You know, we, we try to create an experience for someone from the moment they walk in, not just the food, the service, the, the ambience, everything that we you know, can feel like we're taking them, you know, maybe to something in France or to in Europe or or uh, something like that. We've we've got a very minimalist sort of uh, uh, decor here, a lot of timber, a lot of wood, uh, you know, the curtains, the grey colours, things like that. The kitchen's open, which is really uh, a nice thing, which people can come up, have a chat with us, allows me to get out in the restaurant a lot and, you know, be with the customers, take a lot of the food out as well. And then we've got our little timber cheese trolley just behind me over here, which oh. is a, a wonderful talking point throughout the restaurant where we can go out and we do that sort of cheese service in the middle of the, the menu for everyone. So. Now, you have a big emphasis on local. Uh, a lot of the cheese is local or are they, you know, French influence? Only thing or? that I, won't, I don't get local is yeah. all the cheese, I get French cheese, yeah. Really? Yeah. They're not good enough for you over here? Not that they're not good enough. I think it's... You said it's, that earlier, that's all. Yeah, <laughs> he said he was going to cut that. <laughs> no, what no, I text that. you when I'm on the toilet stays between us. And <laughs> yeah, but so no, only French cheese. That's great. That's yeah. something to look forward to. Yeah, know. I think because it, it's something that people can't get all the time here. Yeah, and right. that's, You know, the the service of the the cheese on the trolley, the way we've done it, is very French. It's probably the most French thing about the restaurant. So Do you make the bread? Make the bread here. Yeah, beautiful. Make all our bread here. Um, yeah, everything else we don't we don't make the cheese, but. How amazing is French cheese? Like you go to France and anyone who hasn't been there, these fromageries, you're just on the corner and you go in there and it's a passion and everyone has a French stick that's walking home in the afternoon and you pick up these cheeses. It's just like we don't eat anywhere near as much cheese than yeah, up there. And like, it's um, it's nice to sort of show people how it's supposed to be eaten as well. So, you know, the big thing is cheese is to eat at room temperature. So yes. the number of times uh, you go to a restaurant here and you get a big cold slab of cheese and... You've got to sit more. Well, I personally will sit and wait 20 minutes for it to come to temperature and then they ask if something's wrong. So I say, no, no, I'm just, you know, it's just the way I enjoy my cheese. So here we've got the temperature control trolley, which um, sits at 18 degrees from the start of service. So it's all ready to serve. So that's something you learned from over there and brought back here? Is that, that something? Yeah, probably not something I learned, just something you, you, you discover did. by you eating yeah, yeah, right cheese. You know, you what other parts that. of the menu? Like, what's the, what's the best main? What's the main? What's the main? Tell me, we've got a duck, we've got a beef. What do we got? Oh, look, at, we change the menu quite often here. Um, I saw some duck going out there before. Yeah, we got some, some really nice duck. Beautiful um, Brisbane Valley quail. We work with them a lot. Beautiful. They're oh, fantastic yeah. product. That's closest. I used to love working with the, the pigeons, the feathered rats from in France. <laughs> and you never find a pigeon the same here as you can in France. But the size and the, the shape and the, the moisture of the quails that we get from them, it's the closest thing for me. So they're, you know, they're really awesome. Um, just started a bit of a working relationship with Stockyard Wagyu uh, early end of last year. 
Uh, so we've got some beautiful Wagyu on the menu. You know, yep. what, what Queenslander doesn't love a good bit of Wagyu when they go into the restaurant? I asked this question because my wife's a vegetarian. She's not a, she's a, yeah. she eats fish and cheese. Yeah. Big fan of cheese. She's going to be looked after when I bring her here? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. We, um, we, we have a heavy em- emphasis on vegetables here, as, as, you know, as your account yeah. keeper would know it. Some yeah. Case. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, we do charge you a little bit extra. Uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, look, I, I always like to think that the protein is the secondary hero in my dishes. Um, yeah. We've always got one or two dishes which will be 100% vegetables, but I think, you know, personally as a chef... I get a lot more pleasure out of, I think there's a lot more versatility in working with a vegetable. And something I always used to tell Billy was, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll get the radish and I'll have four or five different uses for it. So it's yeah. all, just give me everything and I'll sort it out. So we'll do purees, we'll do cooked bits, shaved bits, raw bits, sauces, yeah. juice, whatever. You know? yeah. So we'll, you know, we'll, I think there's a lot more versatility in that than you just give me a really nice piece of beef. Great, you can cook it, it's beautiful, but I think you've got a lot more to learn and discover with the, um, with the vegetables. So you deal with not only Suncoast Fresh, your favourite supplier, but um, you deal with like Falls Farm, who do a fantastic job on the sunny coast. They're just lots of lovely people as well. I mean, half of what we do is connecting with beautiful people who grow beautiful products, and I can't but help but promote their stuff. And you know, I wouldn't. You know, we're all just in the same industry trying to get good food onto the plates. So. It's a real pleasure to actually work alongside farms like Falls Farm, who um, drop into Brisbane a couple of times a week, I think. Yeah. Um, yeah, is that what gets you expired, going out there and looking at the stuff? And Look, mate, to be honest with you, I didn't expect finding people like them, you guys, when I moved back to Brisbane. I left Brisbane 2008, 2009. It was shit. You know, like yeah. Finding good produce, having a connection to it was inexistent. Yeah. So I went overseas and, you know, I used to go to the market every Saturday morning at three in the morning, take the van, drive an hour. I'd go there. It was the same market as Michel Brass, three-star Michelin, as uh, Gilles Goujon, three-star Michelin. They'd all be there. You shake their hands. You pick your produce, amazing produce, the best you'd ever see in the world, rubbing shoulders with these chefs. And I was like, this this is life. This is what this is what being a chef's all about. Yeah, that is. And then I moved back to Brisbane and I was a little bit sceptical, to be honest, when moving back here. I was like, what's it going to be? I think it's changed. Didn't really know. Hadn't followed it too closely while I was away um, from that point of view, like suppliers, things like that. And then, yeah, finding people like yourself, Falls Farm, Brisbane Valley Quail, like this, mm. this is awesome, you know. I think Brisbane's come a really long way. What's your favourite vegetable? Favourite vegetable? Look, at the moment, it's kohlrabi. Yeah, right. Okay. Yeah, at the moment, it's kohlrabi. The thing? Which one, real thing? I don't know. You put it on the mandolin thing and roll it down. Oh, yeah, we do sometimes. We yeah. do, yeah, beautiful for pickling, juicing, things like that. Carrots, big one as well. I had a carrot dish from Falls Farm Carrots last year. Um, couldn't it, take it off the menu. Tell me about that dish because, um, yeah, I... I I was literally saying to the head chef at the start today about I'm concerned about the future of cooking because I believe that there's a lot of people who potentially can't make a carrot taste wonderful. Yeah. But I've had another one from um, a guy in Sydney and he did this carrot and it was just, you know, all I wanted to eat was carrot. Tell me about your carrot dish. That excites me. So I love we carrots. Let's say carrots, Ben. A few different carrot ways. So we had a <laughs> carrot, carrot and maple puree. We had a orange and coriander braised carrot. We had a roasted golf ball carrot. So there was three different sorts of carrots. We had a, two different sorts of shaved carrots, a carrot and ginger emulsion, a spice date puree, and a hazelnut and parsley vinoise. Was so that all on one, one dish? Yeah, all on one dish. Yeah. Yeah. 
That is delicious. Is that on your Instagram somewhere? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. What yeah. is your Instagram so people can find you too, by the way? Oh, Dan Arnold? Yep. That's uh, it. Restaurant not, not Dan restaurant, Arnold? It's Restaurant Dan Arnold. Is yeah. it? Yeah, yeah, I think so. I know. You spend more time on it than oh, I do. Oh, shut up. <laughs> <laughs> You're the first I'll person to like everything we do. What are you talking about? Yeah, I think you're the only person I follow, so that's probably why it's all that comes up. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Okay, how important um, is social media working for you as, as a business sort of model thing? Is it something yeah, it that, works that for connects us. We to you? And- we, don't, we don't spend money on it. We do it ourselves. Yeah, like, of course. We just yeah. do things when we think of it. We're not out there planning things for it like that, and I know yeah, yeah. we could be a lot stronger on it. Um, yeah. But at the end of the day, it's just a way for us to communicate what we're doing here, I think, um, and, and people take it for what it is we don't use it as much as an advertising point of view yeah. um, i know we could do a so lot better with things cool. like we that we get it you're cool you're cool no i don't think so at all <laughs> look at me no one follows us of tell, course tell, we're not cool tell, tell us about the most important thing in the restaurant you know what is the most important thing the cheese trolley we spoke about that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah so my lovely wife beautiful tell, tell me what she does she does everything I don't know how to do, which is everything except for cooking. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, so she's the, she's the one who has the attention for detail, for all the beautiful decoration out front, for all the design out front, for the organisation of the, the entire restaurant uh, back in front of house, as well as doing all the books, everything like that. So she's, you know, she's the workhorse. She's Absolutely. the backbone, eh? Yeah. So you Absolutely. get to play in the kitchen with your mates. And she does all the bookworks, makes yeah. sure the bass is paid, all that stuff. And then she says, I'm not even nice with her sometimes. Yeah, right. <laughs> well, you do have a fabulous little place. And um, I think that, um, do you think that everyone's going to make it after this? Or, you know, where do you see, what, what's going to happen? Tell me about the future. Restaurant industry. Oh. Hard question, I know. But some people might not make it. I believe you'll make it. You're a great restaurant. You know, you've kept it smart because, um, you know, it's not big and you can handle it. Um, and I know that you're used to hard work because when you first started, it was just you and your wife, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. it was. Yeah, yeah, we, so we've we've sat and, sat and looked at a lot of empty walls in this place yeah, for a yeah. few nights. So, yeah. Um, we, yeah. For us, it's, it's probably not as daunting as others because we have come from this point not that long ago. We only opened a year and a half ago. We, like you said you know, opened in the middle of sort of nowhere with no name behind us, no financial backing, no one knew who we were. So there was a lot of nights where it was, you know, myself and my wife whistling, looking at the crickets and there was no customers. Mm-hmm. And that took a while to build up, you know, there was a lot of, you know, worry and stress. And so it feels like it wasn't that long ago. So I, I don't think it's all doom and gloom like that right now, but we we know the business model to scale back to, to restart, to re-kick yeah. things. It wasn't that long ago. And we knew it and we did it and we survived. So... I think we're going to do the same thing. We're still going to adapt. We're still going to find ways to, you know, reinvigorate the business model and keep it going and look at having little side arms that will fill in gaps that have been created by what's happened. But, yeah, I think all in all, we're not too worried. Has anything, in your opinion, changed forever in the restaurant world? Yeah. Lots? Anything you... Not a lot. I think... I think things have changed that needed to change. And I'm not going to talk about like takeaway and things like that. I'm going to talk about customers' perception of restaurants. I think things that have changed is people can no longer treat restaurants as 
not having the importance of if you go to a, a ballet or to a cinema or to something that's prepaid. I'm going to use the example of your prepaid. You cancel no show to a hotel, you still pay. You cancel your no show to yes. a concert, you still lose your money. So why aren't restaurants being considered in that way? I'm not saying we should take prepayment, but I think customers need to have a better... Um, commitment? Yeah, better commitment and more respect to the restaurants. And I think they're going to learn this because the, the spots are going to be more limited in restaurants now, yeah. especially now that when we're opening back up. And you're going to have to fight for your spot. You're going to have to respect what it is we do and you're going to have to have a better understanding of what it is that we need to do to make this work, to offer to you your fun Saturday night when you're in yeah. our restaurant. And I think that's been a long time coming. I think there's been a big shift that's been needed in, in putting the onus back on the customer to understand what's wrong in the hospitality industry and what it is that you can do to make it better. Because a long time ago, it was, it was you know... Um, it was super special to go out to a beautiful restaurant and there wasn't very many of them and it was mm. a big big deal really um and then it sort of become a little bit like food sort of happening everywhere and i feel like there's some sort of readjustment where it's like okay you know you don't maybe go to you know i'm, I'm in the industry it's my job to eat out and make mm. sure i know where my stuff's going but you know i'm excited about what's going to happen I'm nervous a little bit about getting through to February, March next year, but um, at the same time, I think um, the best people will will survive and go well. And if you've got a great offering and you're not too complex, I think you'll be fine. Yeah. What else do I have to ask, Nick? Because um, oh, that's on the other questions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I wrote tax deduction lunch there. Someone spoke about that in the magazine. Do you think that'll ever happen? What was that one? You know when people, you know when we used to have the tax deductible lunch. People used to love coming in for lunch. Then you need to get a bunch of yobos in for lunch. There's a big push for it. Yeah, a right. really big push. Um, and I know there's a lot of uh, big voices speaking out about it down south. And there's a few up here who are really putting a push for it. I don't think it it would need to be a permanent change. I think if they could do it for a, a year, scale it back, help any, anything that can help the industry get back on its feet would be greatly appreciated. Whether it's looking at the the GSC structuring for business for hospitality and tourism businesses for a short period of time or whether it's looking at yeah things like the fbt tax or things like that whatever they can do to help us back on our feet um tell me uh, about the wine because i know you know loads about wine is it you or is it your wife who's the wine both of us we've got yeah. a sommelier as well it's yeah okay. whole team work yeah. yeah right so you're pretty much guaranteed a fantastic night here it's intimate you know your wine you know your food you must be really busy on Valentine's Day. Yeah, Valentine's is a, a big one. It's one of those ones. We, we would, like you said before, we were kicking goals before all this happened and um, you know, this year was looking to be really great. It's still going to be a great year. Yeah. It's just going to be different. You, know? you see it yourself. You, know? you ask yourself the same questions sometimes at night, I think, as, as myself. Of, you know, what next? Where to? You guys have adapted as good as anyone else. So I think if we can sort of follow in that, regard we'll be fine well nick's writing down another question over here because he likes to what does it say man yeah they can yeah so you're still doing takeaway right now because this is going to come out sunday yeah today is wednesday but it's going to come out sunday this podcast so you're still doing takeaway till the restaurant opens or after the restaurant opens so we're doing it up until the restaurant opens and we'll continue it once the restaurant opens it's not takeaway like you come in you call your order and you come pick it up so it's once a week pick up saturday morning seven courses for two people 
and we can design it. Some one got one. You could get it for yourself, for example, and have it over three or four days. Okay. Reheat the meals. Most people have sort of taken it down the Dego for two at home, and they put their photos up, and they really get into it, and it's been pretty cool. Yeah. And you know, for the moment, we're selling that out every week, and we'll continue doing it in a scaled back. Uh, proportion, but we'll continue doing it because I think there's a demand out there for it still. Well, I um, I can't, but um, I, I feel super welcome every time that I've ever been here, and I know Billy and all my friends that have been here as well just absolutely rave about it. So uh, I wish you luck in the future, mate. And um, I don't think you actually need it because you're doing a great job and you're a great person. And you, I thought you were going to be more funny. Have you got anything funny to say? Because Really, I thought you were heaps funnier than You one. didn't sell this as a funny segment. <laughs> so you could probably just tell us something funny. <laughs> no, don't do that. No. PG or R? <laughs> no, either or. No, this has been great. Um, thank you for being a part of our podcast. You are a big produce person and I know how much you love it. Thank you for supporting us and thank you for buying You know, through this time as well. Like Your orders have helped us as well. So um, thank you for being a part of the podcast. Thanks, mate. Appreciate it. You've got to be serious as well sometimes. <laughs> oh, <always a> <laughs>